following message is by Eugene Ahn of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, a couple, couple of weeks ago, I was putting my kids down, and uh, they started saying, they said, we want to hear Daddy's sermon. We want to hear Daddy's sermon. I was like, whoa. They listen to my sermon. I asked my wife, do they listen to my sermons at night? She said, yeah, it puts them right out. I was, <laughs> I was like, awesome. This morning, I want us to hear from the Word of God, not from me. Amen. So let's let the Word of God speak this morning. We're reading from Acts chapter 24. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to it. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We have it up here. Let's read together. Acts chapter 24. It's sort of a long passage, but please bear with me. I'll read as fast as possible. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And we had been summoned. Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace... And since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him by examining him yourself you'll be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify it is not more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust." So I always take pains to to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult, but some Jews from Asia. They ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. 
At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we do pray this, that your word would speak and that it would come alive. You say in your word that it is a double-edged sword. Cut us to the heart, God. You have a message to communicate to us, and there is no accident in the theme of this message. You are speaking to your people. Lord, prepare our hearts to respond in faith, depending on the Holy Spirit for boldness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I had just graduated college, and I started attending this church in Albany Park called Christ Church. I'd been there for a long time, and um, early on, one Sunday afternoon after service was over, my pastor and I were hanging out on the front stoop, and uh, you know we were just talking, enjoying the weather, and he looked down the street, and there was a group of about 15 kids. Now, just to let you know, um, I, I grew up in Buffalo Grove. I am a suburbanite. <laughs> no matter how much denial I am in, I am a suburban. I'm from Buffalo Grove. And I grew up thinking, you know, everyone has these vast yards and neighborhoods. When you go to Albany Park, there are apartment buildings upon apartment buildings. There's tons of people everywhere. And there's a lot of poverty. And there are a lot of kids, street kids. And when I say street kids, I mean they're not homeless. But they don't have any parental supervision. So they're walking the streets and they're doing, you know, literally God knows what. And in this particular neighborhood we were in, a street gang called the Latin Kings dominated this area. And I, I had to learn about them. And, and so early on, when I was at Christ Church, and my pastor said, hey, let's, let's go talk to these kids, this group of 15 kids. You know, me being an uh, Asian kid out of college said, pastor, I'll do whatever you say. I'll follow you. So I, I follow him, not exactly sure what he's going to do. So this crowd of 15 teenagers, you know, they looked stereotypical, like sort of rough and, and uh, just checking us out. And my pastor walks in the middle of this circle. I mean, I don't even like walking in the middle of a dance circle. This guy walks in the middle of this very intimidating circle and he looks them all in the face and says, I just want you guys to know that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and there's no one greater than him. And me, the suburbanite, slowly piecing together, this is a gang meeting. We just walked in the middle of this thing, and he is telling them that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so I'm silently freaking out in my heart. But he says this, I want you guys to know Jesus loves you, and I want to invite you to the church. And, you know, for me, I was just like, looking at this man, he is so bold to do something like this. It's something that I would never do. And I think that kind of boldness is pretty rare to come by, isn't it? And I'm just going to totally profile our church here. We're mostly Asian American. And I think most of us, we like the silent route. If there's any confrontation, we see confrontation here, we're just going to like, hey, let me just take a gentle U-turn and I'll walk the other way, right? And this kind of boldness is just so rare. But is Jesus calling us to a boldness in our faith? Is he calling us to live this out? Maybe not walking up to gang kids, okay? I'm going to tell you right now, please don't do that. They will shoot you, okay? But, but I'm talking about your coworkers 
After the weekend, I know what it's like Monday morning. You get together, oh, how was your weekend? How was your weekend? Is Jesus calling us to a boldness to share with our coworkers? Or some family members that we deeply love, don't we have them? They don't know Jesus. And we know that, but we sort of just keep it to the to side and we just continue on in our conversation to keep it comfortable. Is Jesus calling us to a boldness in our relationship with them? Or neighbors, the people we live by. Living in Albany Park, I lived in a condo for almost 10 years, and you just naturally get to know people because you live on top of people, and they're everywhere. And they're neighbors that we've just grown to love. Is Jesus sharing and challenging us this morning to a boldness in our faith? Throughout the book of Acts, we've been learning about ordinary men that God uses for extraordinary purposes. It begins with Jesus telling the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them and giving this commission in Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. At Pentecost, 40 days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and this crazy, things ha- crazy thing happens where they begin to testify in different languages of the great works of God and people are amazed. And after this is happening, there's believers, there's people putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And then a huge persecution breaks out after the stoning of Stephen. This persecution drives out the apostles into other lands. Philip goes to Samaria and then the Ethiopian eunuch. Sorry, I didn't mean to change that. Okay. And he becomes one of the great... So Paul, Saul begins his persecution and now he somehow miraculously meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he's now no longer Saul, but he's Paul, one of the greatest missionaries of the church. And he endures persecutions, beatings, humiliation. A former Pharisee was completely disowned by his own people. They hated this guy. They loathed him. And through all this suffering, beatings, persecution, Jesus encourages Paul in Acts 23. He says, Paul, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. There is an assassination plot on Paul. And so he has got to get transported by the tribune, the Roman tribune, Claudius Lysias. And they don't just bring two guys and say, okay, just get him to Felix. They bring in a, a militia of 200 soldiers. They put him on a horse and they bring him to Felix safely. God is obviously orchestrating all of these things and is totally in control. And so Paul is transferred safely to the governor Felix. And that's where we begin our story today. But remember, is Jesus calling us to a bold faith? Is he calling us to share our faith boldly? Now, just to retell the story here right now, Ananias, the high priest, and the Jews from Jerusalem come down, and they bring this hotshot, and his name is Tertullus. Tertullus is one of those incredible lawyers that are able to argue with anybody, and he's just got a smoothness to him. 
He just got the silver tongue, and he knows how to communicate. He knows how to speak. And so Tertullus comes before Felix and Paul, and in this trial, he begins to lay out these charges. And the charges they bring against Paul are fourfold. Number one, this guy, he's a menace to society. He's a plague. Number two, this guy is a troublemaker. He stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the world. Number three, this guy is a revolutionary. He is in charge of this sect called the Nazarenes, the followers of the way. And number four, this guy is a terrorist. He was going to profane the Jewish temple. Thank God we stopped him. And Tertullus lays out these charges. And he says, Felix, you're going to find out the truth about all of our accusations. They're all true. None of this is false. And all the Jews with him agreed and said, yes, everything Tertullus has said is completely true. So Paul begins his rebuttal. And he says he cheerfully gives his defense. And he says, Governor... You know that I've been in Jerusalem not more than 12 days. And in those 12 days, there were no riots. I didn't stir up any riots or crowds at the synagogue or, or temple. And quite honestly, Tertullus and Ananias, all these Jews standing here, they can't prove anything they just said. They have no evidence, no proof. The only crime I've committed, says Paul, is that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the group known as the way. But this is the thing. I worship the same God they do. I have the same hope they do. I obey the Torah, the law given by God, just like they do. Now, it's been five years since Paul has come to the temple. And when he came to the temple, he brought an offering for the poor. But he also came to present offerings to God. And he says this, that they found me in right standing. If you guys remember back when Pastor Arm was here, he preached about this, that he purified himself to enter the temple. Even though he knew that Jesus was the new covenant, he purified himself, prepared himself to enter the temple. And then he said, if there's anyone that should bring any accusations against me, it should be the Jews from Asia. But they're not even here. They're not even here to speak on my behalf, to accuse me. So Paul is basically saying, I have done nothing wrong. But the only reason that I'm on trial today is because of my beliefs about the resurrection. It's not a trial for breaking the law of Rome but it's a religious theological disagreement. We disagree on this one point. So Felix hears all of this, and he basically just says, you know what, I'm not going to make a judgment right now. I'm going to send Paul away, and I'm going to wait for the tribune, Claudius, to come, and we'll make a decision then. So the trial's over, and you know, they send Paul back to prison. The Tertullus and Ananias and the Jews, they leave. And it says that after a few days... Felix came by, brought his wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish, and they have a private conversation. And in this conversation, Paul begins to talk about faith in Christ Jesus. And he talks about these three topics of righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And after, after he talks about these three things, Felix sort of freaks out and says, whoa, 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 okay. We've run out of time. I thank you for your time, and I'm going to leave you here. I'll get you when I can, and we'll talk later. And he leaves, but he was hoping the entire time Paul would slip him a 20 and be like, can you get me out of here? 
He was hoping that maybe somehow, some way, uh, Paul would just bribe him and give him some money. But that didn't happen. So Paul is left in prison. And it says in the scriptures that Felix would call Paul as often as possible. And they would have these ongoing conversations. But to do a favor to the Jews, Felix keeps him in jail for two more years. Two years until Portius Festus comes into power. Now, I want to say this about the narrative, about the story that we've just heard about. And I'm going to relate it to us today. And the first thing I want to say is this. Being a Christ follower is in direct opposition to what our culture believes. Let me say it one more time. Being a Christ follower is in direct opposition to what our culture believes. We see throughout the book of Acts, followers of Jesus are causing enormous disruption. The first major offense they're causing is this. They're calling this dude a carpenter, the son of God. They're calling him the Messiah, the rescuer, the fulfillment of prophecy. That's crazy. They're like, we know who Jesus is. Isn't his his mom Mary and his dad Joseph? I mean, we know this guy. And they're claiming him to be the fulfillment of prophecy. And the other great stench to the Jews was this. That no longer was salvation just for Jewish people, but it was now for Gentiles. People that are uncircumcised, they love pork rinds, they love pork. They, They don't keep themselves clean. They don't even care about the law. They don't even follow the law. And Jews are like, this, no, this is not possible. And so to the culture at that time, Paul is coming up against it and saying that Jesus is the way. It's like, no, 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 no. God has given us the law. We know exactly what it's supposed to be. It's an enormous problem. And so everywhere Paul goes, Jews are in absolute opposition. Though some are being converted to Jesus Christ, There is a lot of people that are hating on Paul. And he goes through a lot of suffering, doesn't he? In the book of Acts, I mean, if you want to become a Christian, you read the book of Acts, you're like, am I going to get jumped? Am I going to get beat down? Am I going to be humiliated? Because that is what Paul goes through. I mean, that is insane. And so this is what is going on. And so Ananias, the high priest, the elders, the prominent Jewish men in the community, they bring in this slick lawyer, Tertullus, and they're bringing every false charge they can. And they have a deep hatred, a disapproval, and a condemnation toward Paul. They don't like this guy. They don't like him so much that they want him eradicated. They've got people waiting to kill him. Now, these, the idea of a culture war or standing in opposition to the culture's belief, I think all of us in this room, we can agree to that today. Today, it could be viewed in our, stand, uh, viewed in our culture like, I'm a Christian. They're like, well, what do you mean by that, you know? And Dr. Steve isn't going through that about being an evangelical or a fundamentalist. I want to read this quote because I feel uh, Daniel Taylor is a Christian author I feel like he just gets it so right. He says this, It is the only serious sin left. Even murder has its mitigating factors, but not this one. It is the pariah sin, the the charge that makes you untouchable without need for further explanation. The sin is intolerance, and the greatest sinners in 21st century America are evangelical and fundamental Christians. 
America is sick of intolerant people, and it's not going to tolerate them anymore. And that, I feel like, is the current climate we're living in. And just to give you an example, this is the guitar case I've been using. A friend of mine, I've borrowed it. And if you can look on it, it says a lot of Jesus stuff on it, right? Got Jesus. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. God listens. A funny story happened one Sunday morning. I was, I, and this, let me just first give you an explanation. I was, I've been living in, in uh, Albany Park for 10 years. We just sold our place. We moved, so I'm not there anymore. But we were there for 10 years. And through that time, we got to know a lot of our neighbors. And there's one neighbor in particular. We really enjoyed her. Uh, she is a lesbian, and she lives with her partner. And we just had cordial times together. We spoke together. We enjoyed one another's company. One time in our courtyard, we had an impromptu Little Caesars pizza party with our kids and and some of the other kids. And her and her partner came and sat with us. And we enjoyed each other's company. This one Sunday morning, I'm packing up the car. And if you have kids, you guys know it's just insanity. It's insanity trying to get out the door. And so here I am rushing, and I'm carrying my guitar case, right? And it's pretty loud, isn't it? I mean, you see this? Even Christians are judging me like, dude, seriously? And so I'm carrying this thing, and I see that woman. And I see her, and I know my guitar case is loud and proud. And, and, and I felt like, for me, I was coming out of the closet. I'm a Christian. It's true. I am a Christian, indeed. And I honestly, it wasn't that I was ashamed of Jesus, But it's just the culture that we live in. If you declare that I am a Christian, all of a sudden people are like, why would you do something to yourself like that? And though she didn't say any, she never came up to me and said, oh, you're a Christian. She never said that. But you know, I saw, you know when you can see someone's eyes and they do this and they look back at you? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I experienced. And I was like, good morning. And she said, good morning. And then we just moved on. And I share that point, that story, just to explain to you that this is the culture we live in. I almost feel like i got to keep it on the down low that I'm a follower of Jesus because there's such a negative stigma out there. And what is it that our culture believes that we stand in opposition to? It's this, that we claim that there is only one way to heaven. Amen. We proclaim that Jesus alone is the way to the Father. And he tells us this. Ravi Zacharias says it like this. We as Christians make a staggering claim. We we lay claim to truth that is exclusive in a society that not only does not believe in a meta-narrative or in exclusivity, but also rejects the notion of objective truth. Ours is a monumental claim. We proclaim one way to God. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Our culture says everything goes, nothing is wrong. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. Were there equal truths, right? Dr. Steve preached through this. But we say, no, there's only one way. There's only one way. And we don't need to make an apology for it because we're not the ones that said it, amen? I'm not the one that made up this rule. But it's the Son of God that has said this and proclaim it. And when we proclaim belief in him, we say, yes, I agree. I agree, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So I was looking online trying to see, okay, what do non-believers think of Christians? And I I typed that into Google, right? And I found some comments, but I felt like this 
Um, and this is a broad stroke. It's not every person that thinks this about Christians, but this is a broad stroke of the culture of what they think. And I, I'm just going to read the comment. It's, she, this woman, she commented on a Christian post, and she just said, The reason the world hates Christians is because they behave badly. They're rude, boorish, arrogant, conceited, full of themselves, ignorant, and judgmental. Ouch. Right? And even when we hear that, we're like, dude, what? Is that what people really believe? So how does Paul respond to all of these charges? How does he respond to all these things that the Jews are saying about him? That he's a menace to society, a troublemaker, revolutionary, terrorist. And this is how Paul responds. He begins by just opening up his life, say, examine me. Check me out. Go ahead. All those stories they said, look at it. Look at my life. Look at what I've done. Every accusation, every formal grievance, it's unfounded. And it's merely conjecture, which is a lawyer word, which means that it's based on no evidence. They're just saying these things. They heard that I did something, they accused me of it, and now they want to put me to death for it. So Paul responds cheerfully, and he just lays out his life and just says, you know, I am the same person as them. I'm not different than them. I'm not different than these Jews. We have the same hope. And they want to put me to death because we have a theological difference. And I really thank God that he wrote this in Acts 23, verse 11. And Jesus comes to Paul while he's going through all of this persecution, all of this struggle, all of the hardship. He says to him, and he says this, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And I feel like Jesus is telling us this this morning. Brothers, sisters, take courage. Because you're not only going to testify about me in your workplace, but you're going to testify about me wherever you go. Take courage. Even though we stand in opposition to the culture. So Paul goes and he never puts a cap on it. He never bites his lip. He never just shuts it. This guy is spewing the gospel to anyone and everyone that will listen. Throughout the guards, throughout anyone that's in, like, within speaking distance, he just starts talking to them and starts sharing about who Jesus is. And so the way Paul responds to all of these accusations is just saying, examine my life. Go through it. You won't find any of these charges to stand up to what they say. And I feel like for us, that is the same thing. That our lives must reflect a life transformed by the gospel. That our life must reflect this absolute hope that we profess. That it is in correlation, not standing against it, but aligned with what Christ has called us to. Michael Green wrote a book called 30 Years That Changed the World. It's a book about... uh, the book of Acts, and he wrote this, and I felt like it's just so important for us to hear this. Christians constitute the only gospel many people will ever read. Let me read it one more time. Christians constitute the only gospel many people will ever read. Many of our friends, many of our coworkers, our neighbors, they may never crack open the Bible. But I will tell you this, when you out yourself, 
that you are a follower of Jesus, they are going to be checking you out. They will be examining your life. They will be wondering, what is it really true? Or are they like everybody else? It's just this, like, it's just this thing I do on Sundays and then Monday through Saturday. You know, I just do whatever I want to do. The world is checking us out. And I know when I've outed myself at work, and I, I don't know why I'm using that word, but when I, when I confess, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, I know, I know people are watching. They're not saying it, but if I do something that's contrary to what they believe Christians should do, they probably think this, and they call themselves a Christian. So our lives got to reflect that it's been transformed by the gospel. Listen to what Paul says to the, the church in Thessalonica. And aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 2, 15 through 17. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And I think all of us here can agree to this. Amen. We want to live lives that reflect the gospel. We want to live lives that honor Christ in every way. Brad Stetson says it like this, God can much more effectively use what we say if we as ambassadors of Christ have represented our master well. The old slogan is true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is the truth, isn't it? And I want to say this, and I believe that majority of us in this room, we are striving our best through the power of God to live a life that's set apart for him. Amen? Oh, church, come on. Amen? If you're new here, you don't know. I like response. (laughs) Steve and Reggie, they may not like it. I like it. Amen? My youth group kids, they hate it. That's all right. But here's the challenge. Here's the kicker. It's only one side of a two-sided coin to live this way. Yes, we must live a life that honors Christ. But we just can't stay there. We can't just stay in our safety zone and just say, I'm a Christian. I'm going to carry around my Christian guitar. I'll do my Christian things. I'll live a very good life. I'll pay my taxes, mow my lawn, care for my children. I will do everything right in the eyes of man. And that is good. And I want to encourage you to keep that up and living in that way. But I believe that we need to say something. And I believe that's what the scripture is telling us today. And I believe that Jesus is urging us today through the power of the the Holy Spirit to be bold in our faith. To be bold in our faith. So what happens next in our passage? Felix decides this case, and he said, I'm just going to wait for Claudius to come, uh, for the tribune to arrive. And once he comes, we'll talk, and we'll make our decision. And so, you know, he puts it on the back burner, says, I'm not going to worry about it. A few days later, Felix goes down to meet Paul, and he brings his wife, Drusilla. And as they have this private conversation, Paul speaks very candidly about his faith in Christ Jesus. And he speaks about three things, about righteousness, self-control, 
and the future judgment. And like I said before, after he heard these three things, Felix sort of freaks out like, okay, we're done talking now. See you later. I'm going to call for you whenever I can. And, you know, Felix wants that bribe but didn't get it. And he didn't want to stay to get it. He just left. And at times he would call Paul back and meet with him over and over again. But there are a few things you don't know about Felix. There are a few things that, so what, what's the big deal if Paul brings up Jesus and these three subjects? Well, this is the life of Felix that you don't know about. Tacitus, one of the greatest Roman historians, says this about Felix. Felix reveled in cruelty and lust and wielded the power of a king with the mind of a slave. In other words, Felix was a powerful man and he abused it as much as he could. Greed, lust, cruelty, these were his modes of operation. This is what he did. And bringing down Drusilla, his wife, who was Jewish, was a very interesting story as well. Drusilla, a Jew, she married a Gentile man. And she said this to the Gentile man, you got to become a Jew. I'm a Jew. You have to become a Jew. And so this man becomes a Jew. A Jew. And you know what that means, right? He's got to get circumcised. <laughs> and so he go ahead, goes ahead and he converts. And then Drusilla meets Felix. And Felix, this powerful man, all he cares about is himself. He says, girl, drop that zero and join this hero. Come with me. Be. That is a pickup line I've heard from somebody. They didn't use it on me, though. They didn't use it on me. And I did not use it on anyone else, okay? Don't worry. But <laughs> leave that man. Be my wife. And is this Felix's first wife? Oh, no. This is his third marriage. And I'm sure Felix is not a very faithful man either. But they get married. And so you can see why these topics of righteousness, self-control, and a future judgment will freak him out. He's not doing any of these things. And there's one day, someday, someone's going to judge him for everything he has done. Now, you would think Paul would know about this. And you would think, oh, Paul, just don't go there, man. Like, we have friends that have issues in their life, and you just know, just don't go there, okay? It's the no-fly zone. Don't bring it up. Don't allude to it. And what does Paul do? He goes straight for it. He says, this is my one chance. This governor may never hear the gospel again. And he goes empowered by the Holy Spirit to testify and say, there's only one way, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. He's calling us to a life of righteousness, of self-control, and that one day we will be judged. Brothers and sisters, it's so easy for me, for all of us here to say, I just don't have the gift of evangelism. Isn't that true? I've said it. I've seen someone with the gift of evangelism. This one guy, Miguel, in my old church, he would literally walk out the church doors. If he saw a random person walking by, he would say, do you know who Jesus is? And I would just watch it. And he'd speak in Spanish, but I got, you know, 50%. But I knew he was talking about the gospel. And I see them like, I just don't have that gift. But this is the truth. In Acts 4.31, this is how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And he says this, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Do you see, it's not the person or your bent or your personality or your personal giftedness, but it is through the indwelling and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we are able to testify and witness. It is not you, it is not me, but it is the Spirit working through me and speaking and testifying. Amen? And that is how we live a life boldly for the Lord. The Holy Spirit will empower us to share the truth boldly in love. Amen. As I was preparing for this message, I was so challenged. I was like, I wish I just preached a message on something I already did. But this is something I wrestle with. And I was struggling. I was sitting in my cubicle and just thinking over this. And, you know, you're just like doing work. And, and for, I don't know if any of el- anyone else here has prepared a message for a Sunday. But literally, like after service ended last Sunday, I told someone, like, the countdown has begun. <laughs> doot, doot, doot. It's happening in seven days in this exact location. And so I'm going through and I'm, and I'm just meditating on the passage and I hear what God is saying and I look at my life and I say God I'm scared I'm scared I don't know what to do and in my work I'm able to listen to an iPod and I listen to podcasts all day and 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 normally I just have my iPod in I just do my work and I'm tunnel vision and I want to be a good worker and yada 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 but this day God was challenging me just take out the earbuds engage in some conversation. And I had never done this before, but as I was going throughout work, it wasn't like I'm only thinking, who am I going to preach to? Who am I going to share with? What am I going to do? But I was just asking God, God, give me the boldness to share. Give me an opportunity to do this. And so me and my coworker, we got into this conversation. It was my boss. And I forget how we talked about it, but um, he is Indian. And he just began speaking about Jainism and how um, this life we're suffering from our previous life and we're paying for that penalty. And, and, uh, and I was just like, you know, how do you get out of something like that? And, and he just began saying, you know, you just come to complete peace and, and karma and reincarnation. And I was just like, man, it just sounds so difficult. You know, we're talking this uh, about religion. And he just like, and so I asked him, like, Does, has anyone attained this? Have you met anyone? And he's like, you know, those gurus, they said they've attained it, but they're just mythical, sort of like Jesus. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I, I have to disagree with you. Um, I don't think Jesus is mythical. And this guy's bent over laughing because he knew I'm a Christian, and he just wanted to get a rise out of me. He's like, I'm, you just, I'm just messing with you, man. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. And I just, and I, I, he didn't come to Jesus that day. I didn't get a chance to share the gospel with him. But I'm praying for another opportunity. It can be very daunting and intimidating, can't it? But there are going to be some divine appointments in our life that God is going to bring about, just like Paul and Felix. Who knew that through all this suffering that God would bring him to this point? As I was sharing, I download podcasts, and uh, one of my favorite podcasts is This American Life. Any lovers out there? Woo woo! Yeah! And if you guys know Ira Glass, he's the host, and I've listened to it for years now, and I just feel like he's my good friend, you know? 
Like, oh, Ira, tell me another story. I want to I hear something else. You're just so good. And I just found this very, very interesting YouTube clip, him sharing about faith and sharing about religion and, and about Christians. And it was a very fascinating YouTube. And what happened was he was doing a documentary about gangs in Chicago. And he paired up with this couple. Their name was uh, Gerald and Jane uh, Fitzgerald. And uh, as they got together, um, Ira witnessed firsthand these missionaries to gang kids changing lives. And he was just sort of like, whoa, this is crazy. And so Ira becomes good friends with these missionaries. And they just become so close and beloved. And they laugh together, joke together. And so one night as Ira and Gerald are driving together, um, they had about an hour and a half ahead of them. And this is Ira Glass telling the story. He said, you know, um, Gerald just started talking to me about religion. And we talked for a while. And, and, um, and this is what he said. Gerald said to me, he said, don't you think there's a reason you're so interested in this subject and why we met you and, and your interest in religion? Don't you think there's a reason for that? Don't you think God has sent you here for reason? And I got to tell you, I feel obliged to tell you the way I see things. And Ira states it like this in the video. He said, and Gerald, he witnessed for me. And what that means, he shared the gospel. And Ira Glass is a professed atheist. And you would think with an atheist, this is a no-fly zone. You don't really talk. They don't believe about it. But this missionary went for it in that boldness. I want us to think about some people in our lives, loved ones, coworkers. I always say coworkers because, quite honestly, we spend more time with our coworkers than we do with our own family members, and they become like family to us, and sometimes you have drama like family with your coworkers, but they need to hear about Christ too. And this is the thing. We need to point out those people and just begin praying and just begin by prayer and asking God to do the work in us. Like I said earlier, it is not you, it's not me, but it is the Holy Spirit speaking through us. And if we are a willing, available instrument, he can do that. If you want to call the shots, you will never say a word. But if we surrender ourselves and say, Lord, work through me, work in me. He can do great things. And this is the reassurance, guys, is that the response to the gospel is in God's hands, not ours. Amen. They're not our badge of honor. You know, if you win someone to Christ, it's not like, dude, check out my trophy. Look what I did. What did you do? No, it's in God's hand to do this thing. Did Felix become a Christian? According to scriptures, he did not. Did Ira Glass become a Christian? According to his interview, he is still a professed atheist. The response to the gospel is not in our hands, but it's in God's hands. And this is how the Christians in the first century, the first century Christians lived their lives. And they said, this is what Michael Green says, if you believe as they believed, that apart from Christ there is no other way of salvation, then you would be heartless indeed to keep silent. 
when we allow our hearts to be moved by the plight of our fellow man, many of them without God and without hope in the world, how can we withhold them the good news of Jesus? Amen. And I am not here, it's so easy for me to stand here on a pulpit and just make you feel guilty because most of us struggle with this. But I am not wanting to, to make you feel guilty at all, but I want to invite you and encourage you to begin to pray. For me, I've been beginning to pray for my in-laws. I love them so much. They've embraced me. I am a weird son-in-law. But they've embraced me, and they've appreciated me, and they don't know the gospel. They don't know, and they're so close. Their daughter is a pastor's wife. Their son is a missionary, and I've never laid it on the table. And I have been praying and asking, God, let there be an opportunity. Let there be an open door where I can just walk in by faith. And I want to encourage you guys. We all have that loved one, don't we? We all have that person that just, they're like better than Christians. They don't know Christ. I want them to know. Because all of us in this room, we all know none of us are getting out of this alive. Amen. One day we are going to meet the maker. And if they don't know Christ, we know what happens. And so the boldness must come from the Spirit of God. And so this morning, I want to pray that with you. Let's pray for boldness, brothers, sisters. Let's ask God to do the work in us, that we could be his instruments, that we could be his tools for his kingdom advancement. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Mm -hmm.